I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Chris? Wakanda forever. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, Lisa Bolakaja, I think she's out. Sometimes she'll jump on late, but we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, of course, we've got my man, the right-hand man, Chris Derrick in the house, out there doing big things. What's up, Chris? How you doing, buddy? I'm like, this has been an interesting week, man. Like, now that the election is over and it's like and that fool is gone, I just feel, like, so invigorated, you know? No, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the Ticker Project, we finished that. Like, that's all done. I'm so <laughs> glad that it's done. And know, we have like, a new anthology series that... I executive produced and and uh, Chris uh, directed and produced and it's it's awesome. It's gonna be cool. I mean, like the you know what I got a call from Willie, you know, uh-huh. who, who wrote the, you know the, one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he called me. He was like crying because he was yes. like, it turned out so well. Like it turned out what he wanted it to be, and Love he just that. felt like you know I did his story justice and. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and he, and it's funny because it's like, you know, like he had seen the movie and he wrote the movie. And he was there on the set. <laughs> he's still kind of like getting like, you know, clamped breath and stuff like that watching it. And I was like, right. oh, I'm happy. I'm happy I was able to do that for you. So, that's I mean, awesome. so that's done. Um, I finished my are tattoo you, feature. Are you on script right now? Are you on? No, 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 no. Okay. I know you can't talk about it. There's a huge, there's a lot to that. I can't go into right. any of that right now. But no, but but I did turn on my outline this week to the um, supervising producer just to get his his thoughts, um, and then we'll send it off to the showrunner probably Monday or Tuesday. Um, so 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 that's cool. Um, I'm I'm kind of trying to come up with some ideas for season three because they were talking about that. Um, so there's that, you know, uh, and this feature, this horror thing I'm working on with the director. I talked to him about it. I sent him just like five, eight, the opening six pages because we were going back and forth, and I hadn't shown him anything in like two months. And I was like, okay, just need to see this, see if you, see, see if, see if, if I'm getting the tone that we want. And, right. And he, and he, and he emailed this morning. He was like, I love it. I love it. So nice, nice. it's 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 but it's but like I wasn't able to write that for him because I was just like. I just too much tension from the election. I'm mean, like, like literally, like last Saturday after it blew over, like, dude, you won. I was like, I felt like these shackles came off my shoulders. I was like, I'm gonna write the rest of the day and Sunday, and you know, doing that, you know. Um, and then like today, I have to do a final rehearsal for the scene. I'm doing that, you know, that scene from the piano lesson, the 
right. Alice Wilson thing. I'm doing that for the, the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And today's the final rehearsal, um, which has been awesome. It's been so... It's just a different experience directing a play mm-hmm. than doing a TV show or a movie. Because, you know, typically when, you know, the actors come in and you might do your little read-through, your little, like, early rehearsal, if you even can get a rehearsal on a movie, and the, and then you just do maybe, like, just that once or twice. And, and you know, and then they come in and, and they know it, and they're totally off book when you're going to be filming it. But, you know, doing a play, it's like the first two weeks you know, like they were still feeling it out and they didn't know. Mm-hmm. This. And that was so different for me because I've never been there where it's like from the ground up and they didn't know mm-hmm. the language. And I was like, are they going to get this language right? I was like, oh yeah, wait a minute. They don't know this <laughs> to be able to like do it, you know. So it's, it's been a yeah, journey for me. And it's there's, been there's something to the repetition, you know, because I come from theater. There's something from the repetition of theater. There's a reason why you rehearse so much and in a in a professional theater which is what i come from you were literally there eight hours like yeah person and it's crazy especially in musical theater and so it's it's a lot but you see it all come together literally weeks you yeah. know yeah which is cool it's just transition it's, it's so cool because so cool. like, yeah. once they got off book then i was able to kind of go oh you know this what you need to do you need to do this here i you gonna get up here and slap him here and all this kind of stuff. So it's been it's been exciting. So today's the last day, and then we go up on Tuesday night. So. Awesome. Well, I think it's awesome. a good muscle for you. So, awesome. If you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. So today, we got uh, literary manager, producer himself, John Zayozerny. I'm probably killing his name. <laughs> Close as no, that's about right. That's about right. Zayozerny, Zayozerny. Yeah, over there at Bellevue, over there doing big things, man. Welcome to the show, John. We appreciate having you, buddy. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Indeed, indeed. So let's just go into a little bit of your background. Tell everybody, you know, where you're from, you know, how you got into the game. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm originally from Vancouver, uh, up in Canada, uh, and then I went to NYU for film school, uh, and then moved out to LA um, and started work. Wanted to be a screenwriter. I'd won, uh, I won like a scholarship when I was in college for screenwriting, mm-hmm. um, and so I was like, oh, I really want to be a screen. Obviously, be a screenwriter. I tried directing when I was in film school, and I thought I was going to vomit like the first day of, <laughs> of a, shooting, a student film. So I was like, ah, oh, probably not. Not like for me, um, but um, anyways. So you know, I started writing and really enjoyed that, and so I moved out to LA. I you know kind of thought that like, oh, what you do, you go get an assistant job in, in development. That's what you do, right? Like to to get into screenwriting, which I wasn't entirely wrong in that. I think it's good to have that background. I think that background is helpful. So I worked in feature development as an assistant at Appian Way, which is Leonardo DiCaprio's company, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I was there for about three years. Um, and then went and worked for a guy called Andrew Marlowe, who were Air Force One, Holloman, End of Days, mm-hmm. as well as his wife, Terry, um, who's also a screenwriter. And um, and so worked for them for a little while, for a couple of years. And then Andrew created the TV show Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went on to work on Castle as a writer's assistant. Um, and that was super duper helpful. I learned so much about structure. I learned a lot about, you know, I kind of had assumed that, you know, 
I think I, sometimes people still feel like this way. Like, what's the secret, right? Like, maybe if I can crack, like, I would always be reading Creative Screenwriting Magazine. Robert Rodriguez is like, I wake up at five in the morning and I write for three hours. And I was like, oh, that must be the way. Right. And I tried that and that was not working. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> and some people are like, well, you leave it, you do, you, you finish a scene at, like, put, leave it halfway done and then you can come back to it and pick it up and this and then. And, and working on Castle, what I realized is that, you know, there were a ton of successful writers there, obviously, and they all had different styles and there was no one style which I thought was really helpful for me mm-hmm. to realize there isn't one secret way it's like whatever works best for you um but you know I was working on Castle and um you know I'm I wanted to be a writer but I was kind of like a lazy writer I was really good at coming up with ideas but I wasn't so good at like actually finishing the screenplay so <laughs> I would like maybe write one thing a year maybe one and a half or whatever but I had a lot of first acts that just never got finished you know <laughs> Because I was really good at thinking ideas. And so a buddy of mine, Bobby Sablehouse, was like, "I'm." he was a producer. He's like, why don't you produce with me and we can have other writers write your ideas. And I was like, oh, my God, my, my name would be on these screenplays without having to actually sit down and do the typing. That sounds amazing. That's awesome. Uh, that'd be great. And so I did that for a couple of years while I had the day job and really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think I was far better at it than I was at being a writer. And it was easier and came more naturally to me. And so I left Cast Off to the third season and started Bellevue Productions purely as a, as a production company. It's a producing independent production company, um, 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had, they had a, a decent amount of success. You know, we, you know, got a script on that. We sold a script to Warner. Well, I was a script I was producing sold to Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy called Ian Shaw wrote that called, it was called Christo it ended up with the blacklist. Then, you know, and then we had like another script called capsule ended up on the blacklist, you know, had a small movie get me that Ian also wrote. Um, but you know, I wasn't really making any money because a producer doesn't really, doesn't actually make any money unless movies get made. Um, yep. especially studio movies, you know? Um, and like, you know, if you're lucky, between selling a script to a studio and it getting made a fast turnaround is like, I don't know, two years, three years, you know? Um, and so whatever your producing fee is, let's say it's a hundred grand, which is a nice amount of money. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you, if it took you three years to work on that script, which again is pretty fast to go from that to like the movie getting made and, and coming out, take, uh, take a hundred grand and, and divide it by three. And that's what you made for the three years you worked on it, you know? So, you know, not nothing, but not like, Oh my God, I'm getting so rich so fast, you know? <laughs> um, and I wasn't even making any of that, you know, I didn't get any studio movies made while I was just a producer right. and Ian Shore, who I mentioned it, I'd worked with a lot was like, I think you should be a manager. I think you'd be a great manager. I think you could be my manager. I would let my manager go and sign with you. Wow. And people kind of brought being a manager to me before, but I was like very worried about making the change and like, I was like, Oh, well, how will people think of me? How will I find writers? How will I do any of this stuff? But when Ian said it, I really trusted him because he and I had worked so closely together. And also to be honest with you, he was an established writer. I mean, it wasn't like, he hadn't gotten a huge movie, you know, big hundred million dollar movie made or anything, but he was, you know, he's making good money every year. And so I kind of was like, oh, well, if I'm working with Ian, I can make, you know, X amount, hopefully if things stay consistent. Right. Um, and then I, I can build that as a base. Plus, I felt like because Ian was so known, was relatively known, and also I was known as he was my closest collaborator. I was like, well, that's a good sign because people be like, well, if Ian's working with John, then John must be good because you know, they worked together and Ian was already a known quantity. Um, So I shifted Bellevue into management that year. Um, My colleague, Jeff Portnoy came on uh, to the company that year. This is 2015. 
Um, that year, we had four scripts on the annual blacklist, um, which was great, you know, especially for like just a two person company that had started up. And then the next year, we had the number one script in the blacklist, nice. um, Blonde Ambition. We had like five other scripts. So oh, I read that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 the Madonna biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually, you know, it's funny, I, I was kind of get around to saying, but like my wife, Elise Hollander is actually the person who wrote that. Um, so she's a client, but also my wife, although she was my girlfriend or at the time, you know, <laughs> then fiance before she was a client. So, you know, um, but yeah, so that was really cool. And that really established us, I think. And then, you know, in the years since, you know, um, uh, my colleagues, Zach Zucker and Kate Sharp, is also, have also joined the company as managers. We've had, you know, bigger studio movies get made. We had a movie called Eli get made. We have a movie called Infinite in post-production. Um, that that was a book that I brought to Ian Shore that he specced, and then we ended up selling to Paramount and got made with Mark Warg, Mark Wahlberg and Chiwetel Ejiofor, mm-hmm. starring and Antoine Fuqua directing, which is nice. really huge. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we, you know, we've had a lot of clients land in TV and like features and stuff like that. So the, the company's really grown in profile and in clientele and stuff like that. So it's been really, really encouraging to have all that stuff happen. So, right. so yeah, it's, you know, but you know, it, I think as you and I were talking before the, the call began, mm-hmm. um, podcast began, you know, it was definitely a journey where like, you know, I wanted to be a writer and that didn't work out. Then I wanted to be a producer and that didn't exactly work out. But, you know, I do take all the skills that I learned from those different jobs and feature development and apply those to what I'm doing today. You know, the TV, having been on a, a writer's assistant on a TV show, having been on a feature development, I've learned a lot from those different capacities, which I applied to being a manager, which I think, you know, it's been interesting. You know, I know a lot of my friends, they speak, they start off as assistants at agencies or in management companies and now they're agents or managers and mm-hmm. it's, it's, sometimes it can be a linear path and which is like some people are awesome and great at it but sometimes I think people are a little bit like oh well I follow these rules and these are the rules that I learned and so that's so at Bellevue I would say we do things a little differently because almost none of us come from a traditional background right. in representation the only one who does is actually Zach Zucker who was an assistant at UTA but beyond that none of us ever worked at you know Jeff was a reader at CA but that was it so we kind of we've kind of like made some mistakes that maybe we wouldn't have made but also I think we've done some things that people at other agencies at agencies and management companies might not do because they seem unorthodox but they make sense for us hey John you, you said something interesting to me that 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 I love <laughs> which is one of the reasons I love about doing this show is I always tell writers especially emerging writers as they're coming up I'm like you know your success comes from the things that you have experienced mm-hmm. you know once you embrace all those different things in yourself is usually when you, you find out what your voice is. You find out the things that you love to write about. You realize, and you would be in a producer, like I'm a producer myself too. <clears throat> One of the things I've learned is all these different things I've done, whether it's coming from, you know, directing or, you know, producing theater, you know, being on tour with singers and rappers, you know, whatever the thing was, it's made me understand more about producing. Now, like logistics is my thing. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean? absolutely. I I can't even walk in a building without figuring out where base camp is and how we. I just can't help it. You know what I mean? And so, so all those things you utilize teaches you different things. So I could see you embracing the fact that being the writer's assistant and you know being a development producer and all that stuff. So when you finally are uh, mm-hmm. a literary manager yourself, all those those strengths you know actually come to fruition for you in a way that others wouldn't even expect. Yeah, I think it's important to look back at your 
at your past and, and utilize those rather than, I think sometimes come, people come into like say management and they're like, oh, I don't know how to be a manager. So I have to go and follow, I have to, I, does anyone have a guidebook on how to be a manager? Does anyone, can anyone, I have to look at other people and do exactly what they do. And I think that is, you know, wrong headed in that like, you know, look at your own experiences. Certainly look look at other what other people have done and like be like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, I'll take that and I'll discard that, you know? Um, but yeah, I think sometimes people, I think you're completely right. You got to use all your experiences and sometimes people think a little like discount their own experiences because they feel like those, they're not playing by the rules or that's not how it's done. And the reality is there are no rules per se. You know, you should definitely learn the protocols, you know, (laughs) such as, you know, you know, don't call someone on a weekend or don't call them at nine (laughs) o'clock at night or whatever, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think you want to like figure out your own methodology for doing it. And the same is true, by the way, for writing, you know, so often when I get I asked, asked by people on Twitter and otherwise, it's like, you know, so-and-so broke the rules. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do this, you know? <laughs> and I mean, look, I think there are certain things you should be aware of, like screenplays should not be longer than 120 pages. Pilots should not be longer than 60 pages. But like, you know, if it's 65 and there's a reason for it to be 65 pages, then great. Do you know what I'm saying? If it's 55, then that's fine. Right. I think you want to be aware of certain norms. Um, and if you're going to transgress those, then there should be a good reason to do that. But don't feel boxed in. I think the other the really sad thing is I think people learn the rules and they're like, well, if I learn the rules, then I'll be a success, you know, but it doesn't work that way. You know, right. just because you learn the rules doesn't make you a success. Right. I mean, the, 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 for writing, for, for all of it, it's like this. The rules are kind of like foundational knowledge, but that's not going to get you out of the pack if just because you follow the rules. And, I, and, 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 and all the writers you, that you know and love and look up to and whose work like resonates with you, same with the directors, they're doing stuff that is at some point unconventional. It is something that was like, well, shit, like, how does that happen? You know, I mean, you know, and, and it might be by some mistake or it might be just the, 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 the victim of circumstances. I mean, like, you know, the whole thing they talk about, you know, if, if you go back and look at like, like horror films and monster films prior to Jaws, you're always seeing the monster, right? It's like this part of it is that. But in Jaws, because they didn't, you know, because the, the shark didn't work. <clears throat> they figured out, well, if, if we do shark POV or use the music, it's, it's you know, like, I'm sure at the time, like, like that was just revolutionary. That's what, that's what the movie resonates now because it's so unique and out, out and, like, in doing that. And so many films do that. So many scripts do that. And, and, and those people aren't following the rules because they probably tried to follow the rules and got to a point where, I, well, I can't do that now. So right. it's time for me to pivot and you know, and if and, and if and if under that pressure, and you pivot correctly, well, then that really shows you know like your talent and your ability to to handle the the real creative pressure. Because the real creative pressure is when you know is that okay? Here's the plans, and it's going to go wrong. You mm-hmm. know, and then well, how do you respond to that? Well, I was just thinking about, and we talk about Chris and I talk about this a lot on the show, John, <clears throat> about um, you know we've interviewed you know hundreds and hundreds of you know very successful writers on the show what i found is the majority of them when they made it it was usually with the script everybody told them not to write yeah you know and the same with myself you know shit happened as soon as i shifted like once i embraced all the things i didn't want you to know about me and i started leaning in on that in my meetings and stuff is when i started getting tons of work you know (laughs) 
and that and that's the truth and and so i'm always pitching that to every emerging writer to find that thing that you don't want people to know about and roll on that <laughs> you know that's going to well, be the thing that's going to grab well you definitely true there's that and the whole thing you were saying before john about like you, you take for granted your experiences mm-hmm. you know because that was like that little twist i made this year when i started telling executives you know i wrote this this screen, this pilot, and people were asking me the reason, like, what was the, the 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 rationale behind it? And I would tell people different stories, reason why beforehand. But when I start telling people, oh, well, I started writing this because the CIA came and tried to recruit me when I was in eleventh grade. That mean, <laughs> like, I see their face stop, mm-hmm. and I see like like all the other distractions in their day has stopped because they're like, wait, 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 stop, eleventh grade. Like, tell me that story. Tell mm-hmm. me how that got you now to this script and in my office. And then, and and that is the way. And, and for a while, I wasn't doing that because I don't. I mean, because like that didn't. That was exciting at the time, but I but I kind of forgot about it, you know, until someone kind of pulled it out of me, and I was like, oh yeah. And they were like, well, that's such a different kind of background to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just things like that. I just it's it's. There's a lot about. I think that's what's really great about working in in different aspects of the entertainment industry is that is you see how different things work for different people. Like you said, with the, when you were on Staff and Castle, you saw that they all had their own methodology to get the script done. And it's like, you know, this is the thing that Jeff Thorne always says. It's like the minute you see a, you know, it's, it's like it's a dam, right? It's all, a, it's a dam that, that everyone's trying to get through. And the minute you, like you see that someone got through some little break in the dam, that dam is covered up, you know, that hole is covered up completely. Right. And there's, and it's and and you can't follow that same path, again, <clears throat> but you can use it to say they did something that is somewhat unorthodox, and that's how they got in. So right. how do I do something that 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 manifests the skills and background <laughs> that I have that's somewhat unorthodox, and then that, and then I got to find the right team to help me use that, you know, like like to get in. For sure, for sure. Um, so John, let me let's talk about. Um, so you ended up becoming a manager, right? You, you got your company going, you built your team, <clears throat> you guys started building your clients, you know, you guys are getting some success, blacklist and some movies produced. Um, how have you guys been able to s- sustain, you know, and how, here we are in, in COVID, how have you guys had to pivot your company during this time, you know? You know, the weird thing is it hasn't actually, <clears throat> I kept anticipating it to be really bad mm-hmm. and it actually hasn't been as awful as I necessarily expected it to be. I mean, look, it's hard to analyze what might've happened cause you just never quite know, you know, if we taken this script out, would we have had more offers on it? Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Blah, blah, blah. It just, it's hard to extrapolate what ifs, but you know, the weird thing is it hasn't, I, mean, I, I think what I would say is we've been, you know, more choosy about taking out really choice material because on the feature side, because people simply aren't buying because theaters simply don't have movies in them. Do you know what I'm saying? If no one's showing movies, then no one's making money, then no one is buying things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I know like certain studios right now, they look completely have a freeze on spending any money, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing them lay off 15% of their way of their work workforce, 20%. Of, you know, when you're laying off 15% of your employees, you're not really be like, oh shoot, let's drop like, a uh, hundred, you know, million dollars on a screenplay, you know, not like the world's greatest look, unless it's like <laughs> the rock and like Gal Gadot starring or something where you're like, Oh, this is a sure thing, you know? 
Um, and yeah, so that's been one thing. You know, so I think same thing for development with TV. But, you know, staffing has still been going on. And, and, you know, I think it's been for clients to adapt to Zoom writers rooms. That's been really interesting. People doing Zooms all the time for general meetings, you know. Um, you're just not doing normal, you're not doing in-person meetings anymore. It just doesn't happen. Um, so that's kind of been that. But, yeah, I mean, I think we've been thoughtful about when we take material into the into the marketplace and when's the best time to do that. Um, but beyond that, it hasn't actually, I mean, other than we don't go in the office anymore, obviously, and everything is done by Zoom and phone calls and emails, um, it actually hasn't changed quite as much as I was kind of expecting. Right. But someone's asking me on Twitter, like, what do you predict for 2021? And I was like, <laughs> I don't see it getting better until, like, the vaccine is widespread. Right. And because, I mean, like, look, they're still making movies, but, like, it seems like every week or so you hear about, like, Don't Worry Darling getting shut down or, like, mm-hmm. Jurassic Park World or Dominion or whatever it's called being shut down you know what i'm saying um and it's just you know and those are big studio movies you know and i think if you're making a small independent movie you're probably doing it without insurance because you just can't you know and it feels to me like there's two kinds of movies getting made big studio movies and really small independent movies that are essentially i hope they're doing covid protocols but you know they don't have a lot of money to do so you know um, and so there's just aren't as many movies getting made um, on TV shows. There are TV shows getting made, but like there's definitely not as many TV shows getting like something like Glow was going to was actually had already been started in production. Mm-hmm. And then when COVID hit, they were like, you know what? It's going to be hard to do this with the COVID protocols. And also it's going to cost. I don't yeah. know how much it would cost, but I'd heard like $10 million more for the season. And Netflix looked at the, looked at the, you know, this is all, I don't know any information. This was all in the trades. Netflix yeah. looked at the budget and was like, you know what? If this costs X amount, that's okay. But if it's X plus $10 million, then no. And they canceled the season. They canceled the show. You know, I think unfortunately that's happening more and more often where the only things that are going into production are like sure bets for people, people where people like this isn't, we have to do this. This is very important that we keep this train going where they're willing to risk a COVID shutdown, you know? Um, Yeah. I I mean, you know, I, uh, I know the guy who's the showrunner of SWAT, and I, I mean, like that was a show that they definitely wanted to go. I think he was saying that CBS wanted to use that as kind of a test case for the, the, the COVID protocols. I mean, it's, and it's going. I mean, they've been in production since August. I haven't heard of a shutdown. I heard it's slower. I was talking with uh, with another friend of mine who's on another CBS show. It's a, it's a new show, and he was like, you know, on his old show. They could do maybe 10, 11 strips a day, mm-hmm. but now they're down to four strips a day. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. my God, this is like the lugubrious as hell. And it's just like, you know, but it's more money and everything like that. But it's stuff that they want to do. And like you said, I mean, like the big show and they're like, this is going to make us, you know, I mean, like you said, it's a surefire thing. And those things are going to go and they're going to figure that out, you know, and I feel but like it's not. You're not. And if you're yeah. a bubble show, or even if you were like slightly over the bubble past there, you're like, like, you're just not going to happen. And you're seeing that. And that's, that's a, it's just, it's tough. It's really, really tough out there. And I, and I don't see it getting untough until the vaccine is widespread and we can live our lives normally. Yeah. And the sad thing is, I don't think anyone, 
who's you know being re- being reasonable or realistic has a really clear sense of when that is. I mean, I'm I'm hoping by the end of 2021 that'll be the situation, right? Like that life will be normal again. That, that's my hope. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, look, they say that, that <laughs> Pfizer vaccine they'll know whatever shortly, but then it's like they're complaining. But the real thing is there was nothing <laughs> done to kind of like to do the infrastructure to get the vaccine yeah. out. Yeah. So, you know, so so even if, like, last week when they announced the vaccine, oh, it's perfect and it's ready and it's all approved by the FDA, it would still be six to nine months before enough people got it because exactly. cause, cause that fool fucked it up. So, um, <laughs> yeah. it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, like, next year. I feel like, you know, they're definitely going to – I mean, it'll probably be more of the same to a degree for television. It'll be less – for movies, you know, it's just gonna be more. It's gonna be more horrendous for movies, and yeah. because they not, and it's gonna put. I mean, it was already a, a it was already a, a bad state where it's like that you're doing the two million dollar movie mm-hmm. and you're doing the two hundred million dollar movie. There's like nothing in between, and it'll probably just be more and more of that, you know. And I and I don't think that the material that they, you know, that the, the movies that go on streamers, you know, don't have the same kind of like. I mean, to me, there's not the same excitement for, for any of that stuff. For sure. Uh, and, and, and I can't, you know, for whatever it is, I mean, you know, the, the A24s of the world and people like that and, and Annapurna with what they were doing, like those movies are always the things that are most exciting to me to see. And I don't, and I haven't seen those get shunted to Netflix or someplace like that right. yet. Uh, I mean, like, like their whole slate kind of thing. So, and there's still stuff like promising a woman supposed to come out at a Christmas, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, or like uh, Minari's going to come out theatrically, and I'm just like, or like, you know, Freaky came out theatrically, and I'm like, man, I would love to see that on VOD, and I think we will see it faster because of the agreement with AMC or whatever, but, you know, but like that, you know, we're here, we all live in LA, and like that is the biggest movie town probably in the world, you know, right. and you can't see movies here. You can't even like go rent, be like, oh, we can rent theaters now. You can rent a theater all to yourself for like X amount of money. I looked, looked into that. I was like, just curious to see how much it was. You still can't do that. You can't right. go into a theater, period, you know, and right. so until we get back to approaching normal, normal, <laughs> I, I don't think that things will be normal for, and that's really hard, I think, for up and coming writers to hear that, you know, it's already hard enough for them, but to hear that the marketplace is really, really tough. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's, it's, it's as tough to be a writer right now as it's ever been, because, you know, let's say for a feature job, you're competing with the much bigger names than you normally would be because there's just less jobs to go around, you know? So for a job that they normally wouldn't pay attention to, they are paying attention because they're like looking at 2021 and being like, man, how many more jobs are there going to be, you know? Right, right. Um, and same thing for TV, by the way. Um, I think there's a lot more TV writing going on um, than feature opportunities, but it still is very difficult. I mean, it's all, the crazy thing is, if this was a non-pandemic time, I'd be like, yeah, it's really hard to break into film and TV. And I'm like, okay, you take normal hard and right. then you times, you know, double it and maybe triple it. And you're like, okay, now you're down. Now, now you're where we are in a pandemic, you know? And that's really difficult for people to hear, you know? And I think maybe the thing that's hopeful, helpful about that is calibrate your expectations accordingly and take the time, you know, and be like, okay, I've written a script. It's not getting the reaction I'm liking, but it's also a really difficult time. I'm going to go write another screenplay, you know, 
And that way, you know, in by mid 2021, I'll have two to three screenplays that are that, that are, you know, me and you'll probably get. I mean, historically, when people write screenplays, you know, they get better. I mean, you know, in terms of like their quality and, and stuff like that, um, you know, I've learned that it's not always true. But, uh, you know, it, it, especially when you're early in your career, it tends to be true, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'll give you an example. I mean, there was a movie that I was so primed to write and finish and because i was like I, I, I had some i had around like two million dollars of people who said they wanted to do something with me from a couple different people and this is maybe december of last year and i said okay so if i can get this done by march then i can start like pull, i can start pulling together a producer and maybe like in these and, and, and get them to meet the money guys and all this kind of stuff like this and then in mid-february when the pandemic started going up and i was like this is going to shut everything down. And then I was like, so I don't need to rush to finish this. Mm. And I just was like, um, I, I, and I worked on it to a point where I would go, okay, I like, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. And as opposed to just like barreling through and spending another three, four hours a day trying to like crack like a couple of scenes. I was like, I'll just wait two weeks until the idea comes to me, like the really best idea. And I might've thought of four or five ideas. I was like, okay, wait, wait, this is the best one. And then, you know, I mean, in that script, I just finished it the other day. And, a, and my friend who, like, who wrote like, the Tupac movie was reading it. And he was like, dude, I can't believe you wrote this. It's so, hmm. it's, such, it's such a great example of what you can do only. Right. And he was like, and there's nothing else that, that he's read is like it. I was like, cool, because that's what I wanted. And I feel like if I tried to get it done by March, I wouldn't have had that time to do that. And there was like a couple other movies that I was like, they were, that were kind of like percolating and just, there was, I felt like you're right. You use the time now because the days feel so unstructured because we, you know, we can't go out. We don't have to, we, we've, like we're not timing things by rush hour drives and stuff like that. Then <laughs> you have more time to kind of like focus on what you want to do and think about those ideas and re rewrite that scene four or five times, you know, that you might just do one time now just to get through the script that, you know, that will actually just make it better because, you know, as we always say, you know, like like writing is rewriting. And the more you rewrite the scene and go, well, how do I shave like ten percent off this scene? Or if I want to shave ten percent off this script because it's maybe like it's a hundred hundred twenty five pages. How do I get it to hundred like the hundred eighteen? Yeah. You know, like like that might seem daunting if you're just trying to get it done. But if you got well, I've got two months to do that. Yeah, that's it. Becomes like it. it, it it's it's it's. Like, to me, I feel more energized to do things like that, you know? Well, we're still living in a time, though. I always tell writers this, you know, it's, you know, Chris and I, we started writing, you know, over 20 years ago when things were different, you know? And I'm not sure how long you worked your way up, um, John. About the same length of time. Okay, cool. So you, you remember when the Internet wasn't a big thing. You know, we. Oh my! I'm so. I just gotta say this. I think about this not too often, but if I was a manager back when you had to print out screenplays uh, and get them couriered around, oh my yeah. god, that would be like ten percent of my budget or more. My annual budget would be like printing the screenplays yeah. and getting them couriered. I remember, yeah. like, I, I like uh, people when I worked at Appian. People like they would send me their script or whatever, like a man, I, like a kind of small manager, and be like, "Yeah, it wasn't for us." They'd be like, "Cool, could you send the screenplay back?" Because like, that, you know, I need, I need that, that's my copy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I will say that it's the one great thing that people take for granted now. It's like if you're saying, it's, if someone reaches out to you about your query letter or whatever, you don't have to like 
print the screenplay out, go to a mailbox, go to a courier. That is the one thing I do think is great with the internet is PDFs, PDFs. But I was just thinking that we're in a time where, and you're the perfect example of this, John, you know, somebody who's at a very legitimate, you know, management company is open themselves up on Twitter to the writing community, you know? And I think that is something that wouldn't wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had time before. Oh, hundred you know, percent. I was do that. I was not on Twitter. Right. I mean, I was on, but I didn't really do anything until the pandemic. And I was saying this the other day. I was like, you know, normally I would be like, okay, wake up, okay, go to the office. That's like a, you know, X amount of time in the car, and then okay, I have a lunch at one p.m. Okay, X amount, of, you know, half an hour to my lunch, you know, half an hour back, and then get in the office, do some phone calls. Okay, then I got maybe drive to a three o'clock meeting, and mm-hmm. oh man, then I'm stuck in traffic for forty five minutes trying to get back from yeah. the valley or what, you know. Probably an hour, honestly. Um, you know, but now I don't go anywhere. <laughs> so it's like I have all this extra time. So I'm like, oh, why not go on Twitter and get yelled at by people? I mean, you know, <laughs> talk to talk to, you know, the great all the all, all the wonderful people out there, you know. But no, but yeah, I mean I've I've seen people make, you know, rude comments to you, but No, people have been really cool with the you know there's always one stupid I had one famous fracas. Um, but yeah. But with the the whole point that I'm making is the majority of yes. writers, and yeah. that's the, like one of the things we've learned about. Just on a side note, like about our podcast, we we are not trying to compete with script notes. Mm-hmm. You know, John Craig are Oscar and you know freaking Emmy winning writers. You're not. You can't compete with that. What no. we're going to do is do what we do. Yeah, you know? and we still have a a nice audience. So so I stopped even trying. You know what I mean? So well, also, like, what they what, what's applicable to them is applicable to them. What's applicable to you guys is is far more interesting, personally. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Craig and, and you know, and John August, I don't know, have they written a spec, like an actual spec in the last 10 no. to 15 years? Yeah, I would imagine harder. not, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think the thing about their... There's a lot of writers who probably who who have done who were as successful as them, but have maybe gone up and down. And I feel that I feel that they right. have a very storybook career, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like you know, I, I'm sure they've had their setbacks. Sure, but they're not the same as as probably a bunch of other people that I know, where you know the town right. is like, don't hire them right now, you know, right. and, and and they got to work their way back from something, you know. I mean, I mean. It's just you know, and, and and Craig turns around. The first thing he does to television is just like, it, it, like it's a drama. Amazing miniseries. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's known for comedy. He does a drama. It gets all these Emmys, and and it's like, and and everyone's talking about it for like four right. or five months. Like that is like, uh, like you can't even really. It's such. An if you wrote, if you wrote that as a movie, people are like, that seems unrealistic. The guy <laughs> who wrote Identity <laughs> Theft is going to write the Chernobyl miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, right. to me, what I was getting at was that, um, was that you know they're obviously very smart and and have lots of things to say, and I learned tons from their podcast and from John Ock's website in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Go is one of my favorite movies, um, but also like. What you guys, I think you guys are getting to, and, and I apologize if, if for interrupting okay. or if I'm paraphrasing, but like, it's kind of like, look, I'm also, in a weird way, like, I'm like not the biggest management company, but I think I'm very good at what I do. Yeah. And what I do is applicable to the people that I work with. And I think what you guys are talking about is applicable to, if you speak to you, it's like kind of what we're talking about with writing. If you speak mm-hmm. to your experience, then you be 
it's so funny. It's like sometimes my clients will be like, I want to write this guy and he's an architect and he's just a guy. And I'm like, okay, well, can you be more specific about what he is? He's just a guy. And I'm like, because they feel like if they make it more specific, it won't be universal. But right. the universal is actually super specific. Yeah, you know? what's, what's, what's your tie-in? What's your yeah, tie-in? people might be like, this guy's really into model train sets. Well, I don't like model train sets, but I have my own passion. I'm really into baseball cards or whatever. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I think this, being specific about what you guys do and what's what's important to you and how you operate within the world is actually super duper universal. Sure. And you don't need to like be like, okay, well, they did this. Well, I did this. It's more like – it's like we were talking about with – with learning how to be a manager or representative is like you don't need to look to what the most successful people are doing and mimic it you need to figure out what your thing got is and absolutely sorry i'm, I'm interrupting oh, no no the, 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 i was just i was using that um in talking with what's going on with what you're doing on twitter mm. <clears throat> because even though you have one or two people who say something negative you have 340 something people who are like dude you're fucking awesome yeah, 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 you know yeah. what i mean and so, and so that is where I'm going. And that's what I've learned too, even with the, with the podcast is we don't have to have, you know, 20,000 people a week. We're good with three or four or five, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we still feel like the audience is there and the people are listening and we don't have to filter. We don't have to do, we just do us. If anything, it might be more important to those three to 5,000 people than, you know, necessarily it may be more of an important centered thing in their life. You know what I'm saying? That, that is one thing I have noticed is that if you, I, there's some people have 120,000 followers, you know what I'm saying? Um, and weirdly when you're trying to do something that wide, sometimes the, it, it can, it's harder to like be micro targeted in right. responding to things, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so be, there, there was a, uh, um, there was some post I read somewhere one time a couple of years ago that was like, you only need a thousand super fans. Yeah. Because with that many people, if they could spend $100 on you like over a year, that's $100,000 for you. Yeah. You know, and it's just a thousand people. Whereas if you had like a million people, you know, and I don't know, some, some, the percentage, you can go look at stuff and kind of see like the, the, if someone posts something, how many people like it based upon the percentage of, you know, a percentage of what their followers are. And yeah. it's somewhat very, very, very small percent. Like it's under probably 3%. And it's, and what's the engagement level? And it's like, it's more about you want engagement more than just like people who are, oh yeah, I'm following him. Mm -hmm. it, because it's too easy to follow anybody you know, yeah. but but you want to be able to like, and then conversely, if I have a hundred thousand, I mean, if I have a thousand super fans, it's easier for me to engage with them mm -hmm. than it is the you know the twenty thousand. You know, because I'm like yeah. Jesus Christ, now becomes overwhelming. You know, and I'm not really servicing like anybody effectively at that right. point. So where, where I was going with all this, John, I'm I'm starting to keep bringing up Twitter, but this is important. Mm -hmm. Is one of the things that I wanted to establish with you is for the people who don't know, I think you might've said it earlier, you know, you focus on features, but you have other departments to focus on TV and other things. Mm -hmm. And so, but one of the things I love about whenever I just happen to be scrolling and I, I automatically get your notifications whenever you post is you're not afraid to say, I don't know something. Yeah. You never There's a lot of things. I feel qualified to say I'm unqualified. But I love that. And I think that's why people lean in because they feel like you're more real when everybody feels like they have the answer to everything. I think that's a problem. For example, we just did an episode a few weeks ago. <clears throat> we did three. We did a little series of 
episodes, like one of them had Saeed on, who's one of your clients, mm-hmm. um, and where we would talk with like like three black, you know, male emerging writers. The next week was, you know, three black female writers. The next week was trans writers, or trans and non-binary writers. And the reason why I did that was because during the 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 me the, the episode we did with Said and them, one of them was talking about writing trans writers, even though these are straight, you know, male writers, mm-hmm. right? And I and so we gave them our thoughts, but I said, look, this is not our expertise. Yeah. Let's bring on some other writers who know this. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, let's do a whole episode with trans and number. You know what I mean? And they came out the blue, you know? And so being able to admit that, I think it's super duper important. So I just wanted to give you that kudos, if you will, because mm-hmm. I appreciate that when people don't think they know everything. Thank you, know? you very much. Yeah. I mean, I think like, that's the great thing with the internet is that, you know, it's funny. It's like someone asked me a question about like foreign co-productions. And it's like, I have no idea, you know, and uh, and, and then, then someone chimed in who did have experience, you know, I think that's the great thing. And, you know, maybe, you know, I'm also like just cognizant that like people seem to pay attention to what I write. So I want to if I'm giving people information, I want to be able to stand by it, you know? And that's why some people like ask me, someone's like asking me like, what are the most common mistakes that writers make? And I'm like, I don't think that's like a pretty general topic. I don't know that I can speak to that, you know? And so I, it's, well, I mean, look, I'll say this is the most, this is something <laughs> that, uh, that Grimazar wrote. There's two big mistakes that a lot of people write. And, and this is something that I saw this last night on like this, this thing for Glenn. He was like, yeah, I'm reading people's scripts. And it's like people yeah. don't know that you have to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a huge mistake. Right. Is that people? People, you know, like he was like, yeah, people just like they just put people. They're just talking about their problems as opposed to what's the goal that they want the character wants in it because that's your story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's that's a huge mistake. I think a huge mistake that people write. I see it all the time in television because because they don't realize that's what a television is about. Like there, it's, it can be subtle sometimes mm-hmm. because you're trying to stretch it out over 10 or 22 episodes. So it can't seem like there's this major thing, but you do know that it's like, there's some incident in that pilot that is, that's going to like propel the whole season. Right. And you have to be able to like identify that and make it seem exciting and threatening for the character that if he doesn't solve it, he's fucked. And then the next big <laughs> thing is don't be boring. Like literally yeah. don't. Oh be God. Boring. And like early on, I know by page three, you yep. got me bored because you haven't, because <laughs> it's like you've got limited real estate and, and, and the limited real estate is that someone's attention span that, that you're wasting. So mm-hmm. do everything you can on like, like every, you know, I talk to people sometimes about, because it's from, from a production background, you talk about, you break down a script by eighths of a page. Right. So a lot of times I talk to people about like, well, you know, like think about two eighths of a page. Yes, you should be doing this at this time. And they go, where's that coming from? I was like, because when you're reading it, it's like you have to be able to break the page down somehow to know like like how fast it's moving, how it's pacing someone. And that's that rise and fall. Yeah, rise and fall. Like, that's when it's not being boring because it's like it's so – I think people think that, well, the opening of it shouldn't be exciting. Yes, it has to be exciting. <laughs> I don't – someone saw, thinks that? That's like the craziest. I mean, yeah, everything you said. It's so funny because I, I, I responded on that Glenn thread because I was like the, the number one thing so, – because he kind of said like, you know, story is not confused guy talks to wacky family and friends. And, and I was actually – I think like six, nine months ago, I was like, 
this, I think a woman who used to run the Fox writers program or something like that. And she's like, the number one thing I would see from people is a, always a pilot about a failed like writer slash artist leaving New York or LA to go back home and get into the wacky family business with the wacky family friends. And, and I was like, my God, I've seen and then like people would like still pitch me that one. I'm like, God, I don't really don't want to read your, like, you're like, you know, funeral home, failed screenwriter starts, gets back into the, you know, like it's always, and it's just a bunch of shit that happens to be blunt. And it's like, but look, the biggest thing is don't be boring. That's like people, have the, what I always tell people what I, what is like the worst thing for me from writers is boring dialogue, you know? And that's it. Cause if you have good dialogue, it actually can paper over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like someone like Aaron Sorkin is Aaron Sorkin, the structure genius. Maybe, maybe not, you know, but I would say his dialogue is what people come away from. And someone, a friend of mine is a really, really good dialogue and has written multiple A-list movies. Mm-hmm. And someone told him early in his career, you write cool dialogue, you'll never go broke because actors love cool dialogue. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like Shane Black obviously mm-hmm. comes to mind for that as well. You know, people, if you can write really cool dialogue, it can actually paper over a lot of other problems. If you're immaculate structure, but your dialogue is boring, it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. no, yeah, well, well, don't be boring is really the number one thing. No. Well, yeah, because the, the thing is, is that. When you're reading a script, if it's structurally sound, you don't notice it because it's just there. Like if mm-hmm. you watch any movie, you know, like 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 I'd say like any like B to to A minus movie, you don't notice that the structure works because it because it, it's so seamless that it's oh it's all it's all working that way. Now if they had to struggle to get there, that's one thing that you don't know. So it's hard to tell that. But the minute the dialogue is popping, like in the opening first scenes, you're like, oh, I'm cued in, yeah. you know, and because that's because it, the interchange between, a, you know, a couple, a, a mother, you know, whatever it is, that interchange could be enough to um, to spark your curiosity. I like always talks about make me curious because cause, cause curiosity is not being born. It's just like. What the fuck's happening here? What the fuck is happening here? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I was telling a friend of mine the other day where we he was writing an action movie and he wanted me to read it, and it's like it didn't really get interesting. It didn't. It didn't even like it wasn't even clear until mm. around page fifteen. And I was like, I'm stopping Ooh. here, dude, because of this. And mm. I said, I said, mm. like, go back and look at the first page of the John Wick script. Mm. Now yeah. it's, it's very simple stuff. Like he, this old man gets up out of bed and he's like. He's fumbling around his, his house. But what's interesting is he's very the writer's very clear to say there's a there's photographs of him and his this him, him and his loving wife. So you realize they had this great marriage. But the way his house is now, you realize she's gone. Mm-hmm. And you and on the end of the first page, you're like, Well, what happened to her? And that's immediate curiosity of well, I I, I want to know because you made it clear that this was the storybook storybook romance and it's gone mm-hmm. now. What is that? Next page. I mean, even more so, I don't know if this was in the script, but obviously it's a movie that John Wick opens with the flash forward, right? It's actually the end of the movie, I believe. It's him, like, getting out of the car, stumbling yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And which also sets up, like, I mean, look, that's, like, to some degree such an a overused thing nowadays that, like, I actually try to avoid it, the flash forward opening. Oh, for sure. But it also sets up, like, how did he get to this? You know what I'm saying? Like, The Queen's Gambit does the same thing, where it opens with Anya Taylor-Joy in Paris, 
drunk, like waking up and she comes down, she's supposed to be playing a grandmaster and you're like, and then like cuts back to her as a little girl and you're like, how did, and the question always is, you know, we actually did the same thing in Blonde Ambition where it opened with Madonna on the Dick Clark show and she's like, I'm going to rule the world and it cuts like one year earlier and she's just a waitress with brown hair, you know? And then you're like, how did it, how did she get from there to there, you know? And that's like the mystery you set up in that sense. And so, you know, sometimes it's more obvious, you know, sometimes it's, it's more subtle, do you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, Shane Black opens Lethal Weapon with a girl jumping to her, suiciding off of like a, you know, of a big hotel and then the question is like why you know so it's weirdly an implicit mystery but the problem the only thing is i always feel weird with saying don't be boring is like problem is people who are like have written a boring screenplay they probably don't think it's boring they don't. they're gonna give it to their friends and family and no one's ever gonna be like actually this is boring yeah. because like it's the most standard critique and yet it's the most painful critique because you can't like you know, and like, I think you have to be very real with yourself and be like, is this a boring opening? Is this a boring for 15 pages? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my, my client Ian Shore um, also always talks about it's not about making A choices. It's about making like C and D choices. He, what he means is like the A or the B choice is like the first idea that popped into your head. Mm-hmm. And the C and D choice, you know, is the surprising one, right? Like we spoke where you were speaking earlier about surprise me, you know? And I think he always talks about doing that. And I think a lot of people make A and B choices. I don't know if they know that they're A and B choices, you know? <laughs> and I think the difference between a great writer and an amateur is that they are relentless. So when I was first working with Ian on our second script together, he had written this amazing car chase in the, the first act or whatever. And then he like reached out to me and he's like, Hey, I'm sending you the new first act. I cut the car chase out. I was rereading it and like, it's cool and all, but like, it doesn't push the story forward. It's actually just kind of like a bit of a show offy moment. And I was like, so amazed. Cause he'd spent like three to four pages writing this amazing car chase. And it was a really good car chase, but it didn't, he was, wasn't wrong. It didn't push the story forward. And to be able to be relentlessly critiquing yourself and being like, this may be cool, but it's not important or it's not good enough. Or like, I like this, and it, but like, it's not that interesting to other people. Right. That is the difference between a professional writer and an amateur writer. An amateur writer is like, yeah, but I like it. Like, I remember giving notes to this writer earlier. They weren't before I was just a producer. And the person was, I was like, well, why is this happening? And she's like, well, I want the character to be walked down the aisle by her father. I'm like, well, maybe we could kill the father off. That would really help her motivation to do this. And she's like, well, I was walked down the aisle by my father and I want my character to be walked down the aisle. By my <laughs> and I was just like, I don't want to tell you. Like, I was like, I was like, uh oh, at that point, because yeah. like, it, she wasn't proceeding from what is best for story. She was yeah. proceeding from what I want, you know? And or what I want personally or my own biases. And I think the tricky thing is, you know, those writers who are maybe boring, it's like the only thing they need someone in their life to be like, you're not pushing it far enough. Um, and whether or not they listen to that, I don't know. It's a whole other question. Well, John, I think I think it plays into I feel like I can read it when I see it on the screen. They, they start writing that. Oh, this is cool. <laughs> I bet they like this. Yeah, this is cool. And it's got not nothing to do with whatever. I'm like, why is Yeah, that's cool. But. It kind of took me out of the movie now because now it's a different tone. Is it interesting? Yeah. I would say, I would say, and this is more of a director note, really, a feature director note. It's like, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool is a really dangerous statement. Yes. Wouldn't it be interesting or intriguing or mysterious or surprising? That's a great sentence. Agreed. Wouldn't it be cool 
is a dangerous sentence because it, it, it usually is followed by, hey, here's something that has nothing to do. I remember talking, I was working on this idea for a screenplay with a director and, and Ian, and the director was like, I just saw Drive. Wouldn't it be cool if our main character didn't talk for most of the movie? And I was like, <laughs> because it worked for Drive? He's like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's not a good reason to do something because you just saw a movie and that's what the main character was doing. You know, it's like, is it right for our story? Then, then that's interesting to me, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. I think the difference between an amateur writer and a professional writer is like you said, you know, is it interesting? Is it, is it surprising? Not, is it cool? You know? Well, I think the thing about if you say, is it cool? It's like, that's such a subject. I mean, like that's really subjective. Mm-hmm. To a degree, it's like you know, and 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 also you say, and also in your to a certain degree, it's like something you thought was cool from some outside source at the time when you're doing it. Like, like, like even if you're making the movie, oh, let's do this. That might not be cool again, like in eighteen months when the movie comes out, you know. Yeah. And the, but 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 then it's baked into what you've done, and you like probably like like oh, let's change this whole scene around. It's like well, we reshot some shit. That was actually more specific for what the story needed. Yeah. Someone thought this was going to be cool. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you're right. Whereas something that's surprising, that's kind of like, like that's usually objective. Like that's an objective surprise. Yeah. Because if you've executed it right, then no one sees it coming. You're like shit. Or if they see it coming, it's more like what's the res- like how do the characters respond to it? Yeah. And that's the thing that the surprise could just be how how the characters behave. Not necessarily the way the audience takes it, and that's enough right. to keep you engaged. Like because because now they're going to spin out of control, like like in, in a way that was like, oh, but they had everything together, and now they're fucked because they couldn't handle that thing that happened to them. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, Breaking Bad does it really well, where they're always painting their characters into 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 holes and being like, well, how do we get it out of here? You know? Yeah. It's so funny. One of my friends wrote a movie, and I won't say more details about it, but two actors in the movie were like, we thought we could play the scene this way. You've never quite seen a movie between a romance, romantic scene between two people done this way. And and they were like, and the director was like, yeah, I'd never seen that. And so then they did it, and then it, they had to reshoot it because, yeah, there's a reason no one had ever quite done it that way. It's because it didn't work. And it wasn't like, oh, this is more interesting for the characters because this character is feeling that way or this character is feeling that way, you know? It was just like, oh, well, we thought it would be interesting because you've never seen it done this way. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a reason why because it doesn't work. Um, and it's exactly like you said. It's like, does it surprise the characters? Does it put the characters on their back foot? I was, I have a rule, which is no good surprises or maybe you're allowed one good surprise in a screenplay. Do you know what I'm saying? That's good for your main character, but you're allowed endless bad surprises. Right. Bad surprises is when the villain gets into the right car or he, or, the, or the bag falls out that has the money in or whatever, mm-hmm. like the bad surprise, things that make things harder for your main character. They're trying to, they're trying to go in the subway and that's just the exact time that like, you know, the subway breaks down or something exactly. you know, or whatever, you know, like you want bad surprises or good all day long, good surprises, coincidences, like those are not helpful in any capacity. They just make it, it feels easy, you know, and, and as much as possible, you want to make the, the problem is it makes it easier for the writer also sometimes to like, oh, how'd they get out of this? Um, this just happens to be a helicopter flying by that they jump into, you know? <laughs> and like, oh, all right, well, okay, you know? Um, <laughs> convenience. You know? Oh, I hate convenience in scripts. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a sign of a lazy writer, unfortunately. Yeah, you know? yeah well, because the thing is, the thing about a convenience is in your own life, you 
there's there's things that happen to you that are convenient. I I just you know I remember one time like a, a couple years ago I got um uh you know like they were like one of those class action suits for like Verizon or some shit like that. And they're like, hey, you know, here's five hundred dollars for you. You know, you just feel oh like my god, you actually responded it was real. I always think that like there's some scam going on. I'm like five dollars and thirty eight cents, not so much. I'm a, yeah, yeah, I'm a, yeah. I, mean, I, I remember there's a big thing, and I was like, oh, I, and, and you know, and I fit it out because because I knew the case, and I was like, oh, they're actually gonna do this. And so then I get the five hundred dollars in the mail, and I was like, that's cool, but that is so rare. And usually in life, everything is like, it feels like a conspiracy. It's the other way around. You get a $500 bill and you're like, why? You're like, where oh, is this? Tax on a surcharge. Ticket for some bullshit or like, just crazy shit happens. And that is what life is for most people. And therefore, that, and, 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 and you string those things together, that makes the, the movie or the TV story seem more, it seems more real to them. It was like, oh yeah, I remember that time that like, you know, I was driving with my baby and she was throwing up in the back of the seat and I turned to look at her and I hit someone, you know, like that is what mm. happens in life, you know, not like, Oh, well, you know, she threw up and I dodged the car and like, you know, and it parked in the right space and got to the yards ER the right time. Oh, there was nothing wrong. Yeah. Like that's like, no, no. Like, <laughs> like, like who, who has that happen? To them? I mean, if they mm. do, they tell the story at like dinner table and someone's like, that doesn't happen. You know, <laughs> like they, 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 it's just like, like, like people don't expect good to happen. Well, because you make more adversity. No one's ever like, oh well. As long as you're with, you know, like I always think of Die Hard, which is one of my favorite movies. Is favorite, favorite script. Got, yeah, yeah. He's got his shoes off. The exact one the terrorist strike is the moment he has his shoes off. That he every terrorist he kills, the feet are too small. Which it's funny. You look at that terrorist, you're like, that guy would not have small feet, but okay. <laughs> sure. but like everything that happens, he pulls a fire extinguisher. They don't believe it. You know, I'm like everything that like the gun jams, you know what I'm saying? They give him every bat and then he thinks his way out of it. And that is what makes him an interesting hero is that, you know, and I think that is the thing that people have to really be willing to like really make their character's life as hard as possible. Because if you can do that and think your way out of it, then you're a good writer, you know, and people, yeah. be, then people read that and be like, I want that for my next Jason Bourne sequel or whatever. Yeah, you know? And it's one of the biggest action movies in the world. And guess what he has? A lot and they need still he's yeah. still there he's not just yeah. a hero who can just kill everybody yeah, you know I mean? yeah. not until the later movies by die hard <laughs> four he's a ninja yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um let's talk about there's one of one of the um threads you did on twitter that i really liked you talked about query letters which is something i never even think about anymore you know, in years. It's very popular. People love the query letters. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just wanted to get from your point of view on, you know, on, on the show. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you about that, about where we are now, what you guys look for, you know, because we're going to be getting those questions, you know. Sure. From, you know, so let's talk about that for a minute. Well, the first thing with query letters is like, honestly, up until this year, I had had no almost no clients come through them. They were just like nonsense usually, you know, like usually they were just like, it felt like they were like, they're either like really boring or like literally I would get a query letter to be like, okay, this is a story of a man and he's in a building and the terrorists take it over and he must fight his way out. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I've seen that one, you know? Um, or they would just be like the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of those, you know, letters, uh, if you guys have ever worked on any, you know, you guys worked on shows and like you get the, it's like the crazy fan letters you get where it's like, you know, Castle and Beckett are my best friends. And, you know, you're like, oh, right. 
Um, but I don't know what happened this year. Maybe it's because I'm more active on Twitter. Um, but I started to get the number one, the quantity of query layers went way up. Um, so now I get like 30 a day or something. Right. Um, and, but the quality also went up. Um, and I've actually signed four different people. Oh, good. Um, well, five, one of them is a writing team from Queer Letters this year. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about the, the people that I signed, two of those people, um, they'd emailed me um, or Zach. Uh, and then the other one was I'd, they'd also been on the Blacklist website. And so in both cases, I think one, one of the cases, they emailed Zach through Queer and he was reading it. And I read them on the Blacklist website and then and it was flipped with another person. And then another person just emailed me and and was just like, had a really interesting log line. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll read this one, you know? Um, yeah, and that was kind of the case. And and it's so funny, This people ask me on Twitter all the time, like every time, like, what do you look in a query letter? And it's always the same answer and it's an interesting log line. And I feel like people want some other answer beyond that. They want like, I look for 15 syllables in the first sentence or something. Again, they're looking for the formula. They're looking for the secret, but the secret is write, an write about an interesting thing. You know, again, if you're writing the problem, the vast problem with the vast majority of query letters I get, um, I mean, look, there's some things that just break the basic rules that I've talked about, which is don't send an attachment. I'm not going to read it if there's an attachment. So don't pitch me more, more than one idea. It's like when I got today, it was like, here's five ideas. And I'm I like, okay, I don't, don't want to. Just yeah. just throw me throw out your number one thing. I'll go from there. Um, and if I like it, I'll respond to it. Um, but mostly it's just, they're just boring. They're like, again, it's boring. It's generic. It's like a person, you know, they're always like weird. The, the bad ones are on board very, unfortunately, very like low stakes. And they're like two people are fall in love, but their families don't approve. Actually, that's even more interesting. Than it's like two people <laughs> fall in love, but then they have to go on a bunch of dates or it's like the most generic stuff yeah. you could possibly imagine. And it's just, you know, it's kind of like what Glenn Mazar was talking about in his Twitter thread, where he's like, you need a story. You need to have something happening. And the concept has to be interesting. You know, the concept has to be interesting. Like one of the query letters that I responded to, um, which, you know, I, I won't go into too much detail, but it's about basically about a, um, a cannibal who finds, gets reached out by someone who wants to be eaten. And it really like blows that person's mind. And I actually about more than that, but like that was like, I was like, that's a really interesting log line. And so ended up reading it and signed the person and they've gone on, they've since gone on to get signed by WME and getting a ton and ton and ton of general meetings. And I'm, um, you know, fingers crossed that it ends up on the blacklist, maybe, maybe possibly high up there. Oh, um, let me ask you about that, John. How do you get your clients on the blacklist? What are you doing? Uh, so that's a, okay. So that's a whole other conversation. Uh, uh, from the, from the query letter one, um, unless you guys want I don't to, mean to, I don't mean to jump, but just keep. No, it, I can give you the whole blacklist thing if you want. It's just a separate conversation from the query letter thing. Okay. So, first off, people always ask me this. They're like, "This is always the question," despite the fact that I've written like a whole blacklist thread. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to clarify for the for the cheap seats out there. The blacklist website and the annual blacklist have no connection. To I mean, they're owned by the same person. Yep. Franklin Leonard, but like, that's it. The end, you do not have to put your screenplay on the blacklist website in order for it to be on the annual blacklist. It doesn't work like that. Even someone who's a friend of mine was like, hey, so like, how do you get scripts on the blacklist? Do you send them in for like reader critiques and then they go up the chain? And I'm like, no. Here's the simplest way. So like, take this script that I just talked about, mm -hmm. um, which is, so basically what I did was I signed the writer in like August or September 
remember exactly when. Um, got them, took it out to the agencies, almost all the major agencies, CAA, WME, UTA, and a bunch of other agencies wanted to sign her. Um, she ended up signing with a great team at WME. And then I'd already started to do this on like a, a minor thing because I knew this group was really good and I thought it could, could kind of go a little bit viral essentially by people talking about it. But we like, we must've taken it out to like, I don't know, 100 and 150 people or something like that. Like, between me and, and William Morris, we just went, and, and Zach's on the team as well. Um, we took it out to a zillion people. Right. And of those like tons of people, like maybe like, uh, maybe like a half to two thirds actually read it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to assume if you take a screenplay out, like at least half, maybe, uh, maybe a third, never read it. They just yeah. never get around to it. They're just like in my submission thing as a sent thing. And they never respond because people are lazy basically. Yeah. Um, but the people who did read it, we almost had like a 90 to 95 percent response rate in terms of like, I want to do a meeting with this person, you know, um, some like one or two people passed and then, you know, or, or, or whatever. But like most people were like, I love this script. We didn't think we were going to sell it because it was like, a little bit too weird. Mm-hmm. But um, we thought there was a world like you could come and somehow get made, but it's not like Warner Brothers is going to pick it up or something. Mm-hmm. Um and we just thought it was a really fascinating script and people really respond to that voice. And so people have been doing general meetings with her and even talking to her about potential projects and adapting books and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, really the, so the blacklist ballots uh, recently went out. And so what I do when the blacklist ballots go out, I send a for your consideration email to all the executives I know. Um, so Agents and managers cannot vote for the blacklist for obvious reasons. You just vote for yourself uh, or vote for your clients, I should say. But executives at production companies and executives at studios can vote for the blacklist. Um, I mean, they have to. They don't automatically once they get promoted. It doesn't come like in the in the welcome package. You have to like talk to Franklin, the people at the blacklist, and get vetted. And I don't know what the process is because I'm not a blacklist voter. Um, but anyhow. Um, so I reach out to people who I think are, or I know are blacklist voters. I keep kind of a run, rolling spreadsheet of people and I track also through the year. Did they like this script? Did they like that script? Did they like this? script? So I reach out to the person directly, like a personal email. And I say, Hey, Bill, um, I heard blacklist ballots went out. I know that you really liked Viceland and Ripper and Headhunter and, you know, Attic and what all these other scripts. Cause I, I send them to you throughout the year. Just want to remind you, because I think they're worthy of consideration. And I put their log line and the title, and I say, here's a, and here's maybe one other screenplay that you didn't read. If it sounds interesting, I'm happy to send it your way. And that's it. Right. Now, look, that list is like 200 people long. So when the blacklist ballots go out, that is the rest of my day, is like literally typing personal emails to every single person. Um, but all I ever say is like, hey, I think you read these scripts. Here's a couple other ones that I think are worthy. If you want to read them, let me know. Right. Um, I think they're worthy of consideration. And then people either vote for them or they don't. And that's right. it. And there's no secret. Here's the only secret to it. Um, and the only secret is, I learned this the hard way. It's kind of like with the Oscars, right? If you had a movie that you thought was like worthy of best picture, you wouldn't take it out in March or April, right? Yeah. Like you just wouldn't, because by that point, people have forgotten about it. There's a stigma about summer movies. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the idea is important movies come out in like October, November, December, right? Closest to Academy Awards voting, right? So they're top of mind, right? What I did learn is blacklist voting is always in mid-November. 
I learned you have to take out a script in September or October in order for people to remember it. So ideally, you take out a script in September, October, takes people like, I don't know, two, maybe three weeks to read it. If they like it, they set a general meeting with the writer. That takes about three weeks. So hopefully they've read and met with the writer by the time the voting occurs, because right. that means that they probably liked it and it, it maybe stuck sticks in their mind, you know? But that's it. You know, people always like people, you know, if you are a writer without any representation, there is almost no chance of you getting on the blacklist. It just doesn't happen that way because not enough. It's very simple math, right? You have to have six people vote for you um, to be in the blacklist. So you'd have to get the script to at least six blacklist voters and have them love it so much. Remember it. And then they would vote for it when the blacklist happens, you know? Um, and that is just if you are not if you do not have representation, whether it's a manager or an agent or both, it's unlikely that it's because also here's the thing. So six votes in my math, you'd have to get it to about 18 to 20 people for that to happen because you're assuming 50 percent of those people or at least a third don't ever read it. So like that's just, that's like six to 10 votes gone, like just gone. And of those people, maybe 50 percent like it enough to vote for it. Maybe, maybe even a third. So like that's why you kind of have to like extrapolate the math out. It's more like you get to get to 30 or 40 people to hope to get six votes. Um, and then like still like, I, you know, I've had, you know, people, things I think thought should deserve to be in the blacklist that weren't on. I really have no clue. I have a certain feeling about what I think is going to be on there this year. Do I have, I have no clue that it's going to be number one. I didn't honestly know that. I didn't know that blonde ambition would be number one on the blacklist. I, I, I thought it would do well. I just, you have, I had no idea whether or not it would be the number one. Then that is really hard to extrapolate out. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a feeling it would be on the list. I just had no idea. But that's it. Anyone who claims to have any more methodology to it, there is no methodology beyond like you give it to people and if they like it, they like it. You know, if they don't, they don't. And that's it. You know, there's no secret to it. And I think the only thing I would say that I do that is special is take out scripts in September, October that I think are more blacklist worthy, essentially, the more the biopics, the quirky scripts, the things like that. And then I follow up with people and say, hey, I heard the ballots went out Um, because the reality is you have to understand executives read 12 scripts a week. So that's like 48 scripts a month. They don't remember what they read in September or August or July or whatever. And so if I ping them and remind them, hey, you read the script and you liked it, that's helpful to them for them to remember. It's kind of like when the when the voting comes out, they send you like a little flag that says, here's each ballot initiative and here's what it means. And you can probably obviously do your own research on it, but like you're not going to remember it, you know, like you need to be reminded about it, but that's the extent of it. And I think the only, that's the only thing, but you know, I would also say what does end up in the blacklist. If you sell a screenplay, especially for a big chunk of money, people like have read it at that point. Cause they're like, Oh, that script sold for money, especially like a million dollars or something. Then people, a lot of people read it cause they're just curious about the thing that sold for a lot of money, you know? Uh, yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, Cool, cool. So we were talking about query letters. I'm just curious, did that was that kind of what it you guys was, expected was, from the blacklist? No, 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 no. I, I mean, I'm very familiar, but I wanted, I wanted to hear it because I, I read your the thread you did too. Right. But I just wanted, I wanted to hear oh, it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm always curious what the kind of conceptions uh, or perceptions of the blacklist and the voting how that goes down. Because on Twitter, it, it is, and even within the industry, people the perceptions are are very like different. I think to some degree because the blacklist website exists and people confuse the two things. They always, yeah. Confuse, well, I mean, so many people I know confuse it, and I and and like I remember. 
five or six years before he even launched the website, you know, I uh, that's when I met Franklin. Yeah, we both me how, He was telling me how it was done. Yeah, Franklin and I worked at Appian Way together back in the day, back yeah. when I was an assistant. I've yeah. known him uh, before the blacklist. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, he's he's a cool guy, and I just, and I, I just, I was like, I, I mean, so he explained to me how it worked, and I was like, okay, I, I remember getting, I remember getting one maybe like in 2012 or something like that. I, I you know, like the first, maybe the first one I got, maybe 2011. And I was just like, oh, I see how they do this. It's just like the Oscars. Like, it's like, it's like, like these award show things where the people are voting for it. And, and obviously like the Oscars, the agents can't vote for, for that kind of shit. So and then when he launched the site, I remember he came to the Writers Guild and was like telling us about the site and how it was going to work. And I was like, that's, it's, it's, but, and then someone specifically asked him, is there a way that a, a script on this can get onto the, your annual thing? He was like, no, the site is to identify like up and coming writers. Whereas the, the list is to like, is to single out the script that was really good that, uh, that someone's not necessarily up and coming because you, like you said, you're not going to get on the, the annual list. Unless you have a manager. I mean, I have had scripts, by the way, that I found on the Blacklist website that ended up on the annual list later that year. But it's because I read it, I found it, I made sure people read it. Do you know what I'm saying? That's kind of like the math on the whole thing. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, I guess there's always like a huge level of like, there's always a huge level of like misinformation on a lot of these. I, I don't know these kind of like these marketing tools in a sense because that's really all the annual list is and the site is. It's a marketing tool. If you can get that plum on you, then you can then you can use it as a badge, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's tons of people. I think the bl- I would say the blacklist website is more than a marketing tool because for so it's it it sends me an email every week of like here are the good scripts that our readers liked, and then I the great thing is I can click on those scripts and then I can read it for myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that is the thing that makes it really easy for me is like, I don't have to send the person a release form. I don't have to like, cause sometimes you send someone a release form and then they're like, and then you, and then, you know, then you read the script and you're like, not for me. And then they email you every day for, exactly. I, they email you every week for the rest of the year until you're like, Oh my God, please make it stop. <laughs> Whereas the blacklist, I can read the screenplay and know whether or not it's good. And then I have the choice. It's kind of like Tinder or like Bumble or something like that, where like I have the choice of reaching out to the client because I've read on the writer because I've read their material. Do you know what I'm saying? So that is the one thing that makes it a lot easier. And like Coverfly actually has become really great recently. And they've actually done this really smart thing where they are, I think, more focused on TV writers. They have really been like, hey, here's this writer. They are an assistant on Shonda Rhimes' new show. And here they used to be in the military or whatever the thing might be. Do you know what I'm saying? And you can access their screenplay and then you can read it. And like that's been super great in terms of, you know, I haven't signed anyone through there. I've talked to some people. I haven't signed anyone. But like I know that Zach and Kate have signed people through that and like that's been useful so the only thing i would say that is slightly different of the blacklist website and coverfly to that end is that it al- it makes it easy for us as reps to read the person's material oh their bio seems interesting or their logline seems interesting let me read it and then i can turn it around immediately as opposed to something where it's just like the austin film festival or whatever i have to reach out to those people to get those scripts and it just it's like a little more work that sometimes i'm just like you know what another step work, you know i mean i still i still take 
Austin and Paige and those things seriously, yeah. but it, it, it's not as user-friendly as clicking a link that takes me directly to the screenplay. And I can read the first 10 pages right there and right. decide whether or not it's for me. Awesome. Awesome. No, that, that was helpful for sure. <clears throat> um, yeah. Cause I said, I love that, that thread you did on that. So I just wanted to hear it verbalized so that people could hear that. Cause we talk about the blacklist a, li- a lot. You know, I know so many of my friends I referred to the, online blacklist and we've gotten mm. lots of success and um so we it's something we were it's been to. the thing i found the most clients from is from the blacklist website and like i just have tons i think i've outlined them in my in my thread i have yeah. tons and tons of success stories like i literally signed someone in like september october from it and by february they're running on a netflix show you know it was it was crazy that was the fastest i'd ever seen any turnaround on it um but it was it was like it was a little stunning and like yeah, it's it's been really really cool for me in that sense. But I, I mean, I know people have issues with it, and like their screenplay only got a six review or whatever, and like you know that's always tough. And maybe the reader was was harsh, or maybe like script wasn't that good. I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So let's get back to the um, the queries. So we were starting to talk about um, the thread that you did and what you looked. Yeah, at. yeah. I mean, like you know, look. I mean, the the basic thing with queries is like. And like this, something this goes back to like the whole boring writing thing is like, just make come up with a cool log line and I'll read it. You know, like that's the it's not very complicated. It's be polite, be professional, but come up with a cool log line. You know, um, well, yeah, but you know the thing about log lines is I meet a lot of people who are working on stuff and are starting to develop something, and they don't spend the time on the log line. Yeah. And it's like the the long line. I mean, like the I think the, the the one thing that I will say I like about the Save the Cat book because the rest of it I feel mm-hmm. is like terrible for the process of writing is he's he, he's adamant about get your long line straight yeah. before you start writing. Totally agree. Because if you can like get that sharp and right, and and you can figure out kind of your character arcs and who your guy <laughs> is and what you're trying to do with your script ahead of time. It just like you said earlier about like these a these A and B choices. That's a choice that if you get that solid, well then you know then I keep, I'm I'm making choices about what the script's going to be later on early, and it's easy. I mean, it seems hard work because nothing written, nothing written. But it's like, but you yeah. know where it's going to go. You know, like you you're very clear about what it's going to be, who your villain is, what the the, the obstacle is is going to be, and and you're going to know what your story is ahead of time, and you can kind of tell. If it's bad, and it's, you know, I mean, you know, he's he was good at saying like, it's really easy to bench test your log line, and ask someone, you know, or like read your script, right. you know, because they read your script and they might be like, yeah, I'll read it, but now I'm not going to read anything from you ever again because I don't like your work. <laughs> yeah. you know? hey, John. I mean, it's, it's funny about log lines because people like hit me up all the time. They're like, they're like, I need to learn how to write a better log line, and the reality is. You can't like make a boring script sound cool. You just can't. You know exactly. what I'm saying? And like, you know, and it's rare, honestly. I've seen where it's a cool script that can sound boring. I mean, you can do it, but you have to like really work hard at it. You know what I'm saying? And people are not working hard to do that. But I think to go back to what you said, um, it's so true. It's it's the most true thing. Actually, it's the most true thing. People ask me for like the one thing I tell people, and I said writing is not typing dialogue at your keyboard necessarily. <laughs> That's an aspect of it, but 
It, this is always the metaphor I use, uh, which maybe I'll come up with a better one one of these days, is like, what would you rather buy? A mediocre house that was an amazing location or a gorgeous house that's the middle of fucking nowhere. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, to me, a beautifully written screenplay with a boring log line, sorry, boring, forget log line, just concept. Do you know what I'm saying? It's about a family and their struggles with cooking Thanksgiving dinner, right? Whatever. <laughs> but it's like the most amazingly written screenplay. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody wants to make that movie, but if it's got an amazing like idea in it, you know what I'm By the way, this script is amazing. So it's, I don't mean to call it mediocre, but like sit the quiet place, right? Like yeah. the idea of like, like living in a world where you can't make sound, where mm-hmm. making sound kills you. What is that like? That is a fucking amazing concept. One of the yeah. best concepts in the last 10 years. Okay. And that alone, like even if the script had been okay, which it wasn't, it was great. But like, even if it had been okay, people would have bought that up, snapped that up. Do you know what I'm saying? Shout, people, shout out to Beck and Woods, the friends of ours. Love Beck and Woods. Yeah, <laughs> I've known the guys. I've known them a long, long time. They're we're not super close friends or whatever, but I really like those guys, and we still talk, and I really dig those dudes. Um, but like my point being that your concept, forget logline, that because that like makes people think, oh, I'll just come with a good logline, that'll fix all my problems. Your concept, and I, one of the things I do with my clients when I first, especially when I first signed them, but even after I've signed them and have been working with them, we spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to write next. What's the concept for what they're going to write next? We can spend months and months and months, and it can sometimes drive my clients insane because they're like, I just want to start writing, and I'm like. But that's kind of like going on a road trip. And I'm like, where are you driving to? I don't know. I'll figure it out. You know, and you're like, OK, you have to figure out where you're going because otherwise you put all this energy into something. And unfortunately, it was like it was broken from the start, you know, whereas you have a really cool like like let's say you guys had like a friend and they were just like, they, you know, they were kind of like an OK writer. But they're like, yeah, so this idea and set in a world where you can't make any sound. If you make a sound, you die. You're like, you know what? I will read that mediocre friend, yeah. mediocre writer friend. I will read that screenplay because that sounds cool. That sounds interesting. And I think, you know, look, the reality is if you can think of good concepts, you're probably a good writer. Um, so the and that's can- a high concept, by the way. What's that? Can all, that's a high concept. Yeah. You know, we can all relate to that everywhere around the world. Yeah, but exactly. And it's even like, just make it like, like that, that log line I pitch you guys where it's like, I'm a cannibal and I find someone who wants to be eaten. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm like, okay, that's, that's different. That's interesting. That's, or like a really specific world. So like take Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler, the story of a man who in order to succeed gets into one of the grisliest businesses in town filming an independent like cameraman filming crime scenes. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Oh, that's a world I don't know anything about. I'd love to know more about that world. You know? So like that, these are the things that people should focus on is something that sound, if you, you know, going back to save the cat, if you went to someone in your, your friend in, in a Starbucks or whatever, and you were like, yeah, I'm working on the screenplay. It's kind of about these, it's about these independent cameraman who film crime scenes before the cops even get there. Wow, that sounds kind of. I don't know much about that, man. I'd love to know. Tell me more about that. You know, that's great. And like, just thinking that way. And I think uh, too often people basically take a movie that pre-exists and just do a carbon copy of it. You know, or like just take their life and be like, this story about a guy he went to like film school and he's struggling to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And I'm like, hey, John, let me let me ask you a quick question. Sorry, Chris. Um, just just in talking about log lines, because I probably get about eh, fifteen to twenty you know, queries a week for my little company. And one of the things that I'm always looking for is I want to know more about them. 
Mm. The main, it's so, so we all, because we always hear, oh, you know, the query, the query, the query. I'm like, motherfucker, who are you? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so and the reason is because I more than likely won't like their script anyway. So I want to know who they, hear me, hear me out on this. I want to know who they are because I want to get to that core of what I was talking about earlier about the thing that they really should be writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I'm trying to find that thing. So usually when they tell me, but do you were even if even if someone's like, "Hey, here's my really bad idea, but I have an interesting bio." Do you like reach out to them and work with them on a new I idea? I have, I have, oh. because I found something in there that they just weren't opening up to. They just mm-hmm. wrote some generic ass script and thought right. that I would do it because I was a black guy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Come to find yeah, out, well, I come mean, to find well, out there was something more there. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, that's good of you, man. I, I, you know, I, for me, what I would say is like I tell people like. For example, you're like, I'm a former Marine sniper. and I wrote a movie about being a Marine sniper. Oh, cool. That's interesting. I'm automatically gives it a verisimilitude. Right. That is interesting. And I might engage on that one. But I don't really, to be blunt, I don't really care about people's bios unless it's extraordinary. Because the reality is I just don't have the bandwidth to, like, develop something with a mediocre writer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's just where I'm at personally. Um, I, a bio is always... It's almost like this. If you've so like my client, remember I mentioned I had a client who I signed in August or September, October, and like we got her on a Netflix show. Right. So she wrote this. It was on the blacklist website. <clears throat> it's called Worth, and so I read it, and it was great. It was a story of a woman joining an almost all male investment banking fund. I think okay. it's investment banking. She's probably gonna be like, no, actually, John, it was like commodities trading or something. Anyways, I don't know. <laughs> it was in the it was in the it was a financial firm, right. and so I like Googled her. Um, I like reached out to her and then I Googled her. It turned out she worked as an investment banker. That was her actual job, you know? So I met her and I was like, and she had this amazing backstory where she had been an immigrant and kind of grew up in poverty and gotten a perfect SAT score and got to work for Goldman and Sachs, like straight out of college from graduating at the top of Stern and like all this kind of really interesting life. And so the, the pilot was great. And her bio was really fascinating and we got her an agent like that and we got her staffed like that and her bio continues to like she's a great writer and then her bio kind of builds on that but i would say if you have a really cool bio like your really cool backstory but you're a mediocre writer it's unfortunately it's not you know the the writing is the thing that's most important do you know what i'm saying like you can be i don't know like does aaron sorkin have an amazing background i don't really think so but it doesn't matter because he's an amazing writer do you know what i'm saying the scott that's frank fading back i don't know but like the background is only useful if it works in in my experience if it works in ta- in tangent in, yep. in, in, in tandem. tandem tandem thank you if it works in tandem with a talented writer i will say if you were a b minus writer with an a plus backstory that might be more interesting to me to get you to like i can maybe work with you to get you to the b plus do you know what i'm saying but if you're like a d writer it doesn't matter how cool your backstory is i i've i've, I've like read this person they're like i'm a former this and this and then i'm like oh my god i can't wait to read this and it's terrible you know? Oh yeah, well, I've had that too. Well, okay. there's always that. I, I mean, there's people that I've, I've I mean, like I, <coughs> I'm kind of in the same boat you are, John. Where it's kind of like your background doesn't matter to me unless I feel like you wrote something that there's talent in what you have, but maybe you didn't like execute it right. And perhaps you didn't execute it right because you chose something that's the wrong subject. Mm-hmm. To, to write on like this woman you're saying like who, who wrote worth it's like if she wrote something slightly off of that you know that was maybe about her college experience it might be like okay but that's like college is like is not as high pressure as that investment banking world where it's like mm-hmm. we're throwing around a hundred million dollars and buying deals and 
blah, blah, blah. And if you're talking to her, like, oh, this is good, but then you go, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm this way. I was like, oh, you should have you wrote about that. Like, yeah. you're good. It just never gets to that point. For, it, early in my career, I would say, early in my career, I did that. So, like, I have a client, and I didn't love her first pilot, but I got to know her, and she was super awesome, and she done lots of cool stuff. And then we worked on a new pilot, and that pilot's what got her an agent. That pilot's what got her first job, and so on and so forth. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't – but she still was a good writer. I should straight up. Her pilot just wasn't the perfect representation of her, but there was talent there straight yeah. up. And yeah. so I worked with it from that point. Um, but it, you know, the further you get along in your career, the more clients you get, the more your bandwidth tightens and you're just kind of like, you're look, the great thing about Studi, who Studi Malhotra, who wrote Worth, who is at foreign investment banking and all that kind of stuff is that like by selecting Worth, she was being really smart. It's not surprising given how, how smart she is, but she's like, oh, I'm going to write something that will be an easier sell for me because I can speak intelligently to it. Also, she wanted to write about that because she could speak intelligently being the only woman in the room for all these things, let alone a woman of color, you know, which she didn't even add that element into the initial draft of it. You know, we ended up working with Judy with GV production Viola Davis's company and they ended up, them now. Yeah. yeah Andrew so Andrew Wang over there um mm-hmm. and he ended up he and his team ended up infusing more uh more of Studi's actual background into the screenplay nice. you know and making it more uh, into the pilot I should say you know which was great you mm-hmm. know but it was it was good to start off with and like plus if you have a client who can pick smart concepts and you know that they're smart about that that makes it even more you want to send them even more because you're like like there's a guy that I didn't sign who I met through Coverfly who's incredibly talented and like man everything he chose to write about it got end up getting staffed on like a CW show he was and he he could I didn't sign him and I'm sad that I didn't sign him but he's a cool guy and we still talk mm-hmm. um you know uh because you know I understand why you know people make different choices and you want to be friends I want to be friends with talented people yeah. um but everything he chose to write about was so smart you know I was like wow like that is something special where like you have an inherent instinct to choose interesting shit to write about. You know, that's, I remember there was a bigger manager than me I met early in my career. And I was like, what do you look for in clients? And he's like, people who can come up with their own ideas. And, and to be honest with you, those are more rare than you might think, you know? No, no. I'm going to tell you right now, I, so many people that I know are like, they're out trying to get books and trying to get, you know, like all this existing IP and things like that. And I'm just kind of like, that's cool, but you're kind of at the mercy of a lot of things. You know, if you can write something that's only you can do, yeah. then it's, you know, it's 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 not going to get taken from you, you know, because who Plus else? people like IP it? because they feel like it was already published or it's already famous, so therefore I have a better shot at success because, you know, they feel like, and the same thing the executives feel, they feel like, oh, well, this book was already published. It must be a good story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do that and you can't do that. People, you can do that. But it, it is one of those things sometimes people use a little bit as a, as a crutch sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah, because, I've you know, I think a lot of it is like this, right? It's like somebody might be like, a, a it's, I say this a lot about like a lot of people. I say like, part of your talent quotient is what you choose to write or what you choose to act in absolutely direct because you know and and you don't get swayed by x y and z you know because there's, you know there's all these stories like brad pitt was trying to be asked to do all this kind of heartthrob stuff and he like turned it down and like and what did he do quirky stuff because he, he, he didn't want to get put into that one hole of like mm-hmm. well this is the easy sell for you so so, so you're the pretty guy Let's let's yeah. let's run with that. And he and he could have had that career, 
It was kind of like that's kind of like what Matthew McConaughey did, but then he hit that point where he was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, it's not interesting to me. Then when I do this, you know, that's interesting. Then it's like Dallas Buyers Club, and you know, it's always stuff when you see the actor, you can tell they're trying to do the serious role, and they've chosen the chose the exact wrong role or whatever. It's like um, it's like in. Uh, Tropic Thunder or whatever, and he's like, uh, he does like he does like the silly movie or whatever, like the I Am Sam movie or whatever. Right, right. Oh yeah, yeah, and like, oops, you went like, you know, you're it's a naked attention grab or something like that. But yeah, you're, I that's one of the smartest things, and I think the thing that spoke about at least because usually when we're talking about writers, we're talking about people earlier in their career. Like, mo- I'm assuming most people who listen to this podcast are like people who who want to be in the WJ. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I I don't know, you know, it's, maybe, it's the, both. I'm sure, I'm sure, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I know the people I talk to on Twitter, the majority of them are people who want to get an agent, want to get a manager. Do you know what I'm saying? There's definitely some people who do already have managers who want advice about that or already, you know, but, but what you just said is, is that's the difference between, that's the difference between like having a career. And I'll I'll tell you something that I don't talk about very much because it doesn't get asked very much is the choices that writers make define their careers. Do you know what I'm saying? The assignments, this is especially true for features. I know some people, they take on every assignment that comes their way. The problem is you you do a bad job at one of those and suddenly people are like, oh yeah, they can't write. You know, like, because you're, you're selling, when you get an assignment or when you get staffed on a TV show or anything like that, you are selling people believing on faith that you can do it, right? Like, especially for the first time, if you've been on the show for three seasons, then like, we know you can do it. But like, you know, you're, you're saying, yes, I can write this show. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I, I'm a good fit for this show, you know, um, and then you have to prove it. And the same thing with writing a feature assignment is they're going to give it to you or a pilot or whatever, you know, they're going to give it to you and they're going to they're cross their fingers that you can deliver on it. And if you do a bad job on one, especially two things, then the word gets out that like, oh, you, you don't have that magic. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? They used to have that magic, not anymore. And I know one of my, you know, one, we, we talk a lot about um, my, my wife, Elise Hollander, and obviously she's my wife, so we talk about her career a lot, is like she tries only to engage on things that she's super passionate about and that she knows she could do a job, good job. And there have been times when like early on her career, actually, it was really smart that she did this. They wanted her to write this assignment. She pitched one direction. And they said, no, no, we want to do this other direction. And she's like, I don't think I can do a good job at that version because I don't think that's the most interesting version of the movie. And she walked away from it. I and do that like, all the time. Yeah, really, really. The that's the difference yeah. between a professional and you know, a long career and sometimes a short career is knowing because you're only as good as your last script. You know, unless you like become a huge hit, you're Joe, you're Joe Esterhaas after Basic Instinct. Right, and right. Like, Showgirls, it must be good. It's Joe Esterhaas. <laughs> um, you know, you have to like prove yourself each time and making those smart choices, sometimes turning down good money for something that you don't think you could do a great job at. That is it's a difficult decision to make. And it's like you were talking about the kind of like the pretty boy actor turning down, you know, $10 million to star in like, you know, 10 things, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days too, or whatever, you know, might feel bad in the moment. But if you followed up by doing something more interesting, that Dallas Buyers Club, you know, that pushes your career in a different direction, then it's worth it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I <coughs> talked with Billy Ray quite a bit about advice on stuff and he, we were talking one time about when he did um you know like like he's very specific about assignments like he's he's kind of like i will uh, like he even decides what he'll go pitch on he's kind of like i'm not gonna pitch on anything that i don't think i can get 
Yeah. Because, because basically it hurts my brand if yeah. I don't get the job. Totally true. And, uh, you know, and it's like it's all stuff that I know that I can go in there and my pitch on it is going to wow them. Right. And it's not. And it's and then, yes, there's all this these other scripts and whatever and big movies and I, I see like, Academy with nominations that, that are kind of propping me up. But I still got to come in there and hit it, the, hit the ball the right way right. and say, this is the movie that you want to do. And there's a lot of like confidence in that. And it just can't be about writing because I'm sure like most people could write most things, you know, uh, but is it going to and, and even like the Aglisters could write most things, but they might not give you the best version of that if it's, if it's not where their heart is, if it's yeah. not like where they are like emotionally in the rest of their life. There's a lot of things that could dictate like how successful that script could be. That's not just like, you know, like their like home talent, like as a writer, you know, yeah. and I, I think that's a mistake. I mean, I, I, I think about it all the time. You know, a lot of people ask me to help them develop stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, why are you a good writer? I was like, it's not about a good writer or not. It's about, you know, how do I see the idea? How can yeah. I, because I, part of what I think people get is, you know, you get so many ideas when you're not writing. And you're only going to do that if you love the idea enough that it's like constantly... Yeah, it's, it's always on your mind. percolating. Oh, what yeah. if we did this? What if we did this? And you're kind of like throwing out scenarios in yourself before you talk to someone else about it. You know, um, and, uh, you know, and it's got nothing to do with, with your ability to actually like craft a good scene or something like that. I mean, you could come in and re you could come in and do do rewrites on a lot of stuff, I think, you know, if, if you reach a certain skill level, because you're only like because they're asking you to do like a certain thing that maybe that you're great at. But that script isn't for you f for sure. And if you come and do a rewrite, it's not really harming your brand, really, because it's not going to have your name on it. But I mean, but 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 you do got to do the job they're asking you to do as best as you possibly can, so they feel excited and that they spent that. I just I just think a hard job is hard, even if you love the project. There yeah. will be difficulties. There will be notes that you don't like from the executives. There will be this, and so you better start from a place of love and excitement. Because if you don't, and it's just a job for the money people will be able to tell because when it going gets hard, you're just going to decline even further in your, if you start off at like being like, well, I'm doing this for the money. Then we get really dumb notes and they're asking you to do another free poly or whatever the thing is. Then you're just like, you're even less involved in it and your work will suffer as a result of it. The other thing I, I think that's really interesting that I've seen me work for my, for clients at Bellevue um, has been, you know, if you're coming in on something, don't do the usual, like you're saying you're pitching on like, I'm just gonna make something up, the My Little Pony movie or whatever, do you know what I'm saying? I'm just making up some IP or whatever. I mean, that is a real IP, but you know, if you come in and you just pitch what's already been done, but like slightly different, then like there's 10 other people who are doing that. The thing to do is to come in and be like, well, I bet you guys never thought of this, but what if we did like a meta thing, like being John Malkovich, but this and this, and you're like, the, the thing is, the pitch may not get you the job, but those executives will be so happy to hear a pitch that isn't the same version of what they've been hearing a million times or whatever. You know, if you're like, I have a really different idea of it. And since sometimes, and I know this for, for two different times for Bellevue clients, the crazy out of the box pitch is what got the person the job because it felt like, well, because executives are always asking themselves, why now? Why make this movie? And if you come up with something really out there interesting, then like, oh, well, I guess that's why, because you haven't quite seen it done this way. And it's the, and look, what will be half funny is you give them the out-of-the-box pitch, and then they try to sand it down as much as possible to get it back to being right. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? But whatever, like, 
if you come in and you pitch the crazy idea that you're passionate about, then even if you don't get the job, and you probably won't, those executives will remember like, oh, that person pitches crazy at the day. So the next time they have a, they have a job, they'll bring it to you because they, they know that you just think you, your ideas are beyond the normal ideas. And so it's a great way, even if you're an up and coming writer, to like leapfrog and like play with the big names is if the big names are pitching you the general like, OK, we're just going to do what's been done before, but slightly different. And you're like, OK, well, what about this crazy idea? Then then they'll always be like normal, normal, normal. And that one crazy one, just in case, you know, well, and if you don't get the job, they'll remember you for that, that in a good way. Exactly, that is exactly how I got my first, you know, like studio assignment job. My brother and I were pitching on a project and, you know, it was really fast. And like we came up with an idea that I was like, I don't think they're thinking of this. And and that was the only way that it made sense to me to do like it was a sequel. And and I loathe sequels almost more than anything. But 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 except except so we went in there, and they were like, well, so when do you want to come in during the day? I said I said let's go in first. Let's go in and like you know let's take that nine thirty meeting Always. and then and then we can set the bar on what they're hearing for the rest of the pitches. And we went in there and like did it, and we walked out like the the next writer who was kind of coming to pitch like waiting for us. Like is the guy who wrote *Mr. Society*, and I was, I was like, "Oh, what's up, dude?" Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, "So that's the level of people that they're bringing in." And he had done a lot. I mean, he'd been on for a long time, and and I, we were like, "Okay, so at the time, you know, like we were nobodies, but like they called us in the week and they said we like your picture, we'll be in touch with you." And I was like, "Okay, they're just letting us know that." And then a month later, they were like, "You have the job," yeah. um, you know. And I and I realized that it was such. It's that whole thing. It's like I knew they weren't thinking of that the way we like the, the way we designed it. And because for me, is I, I was like, it's the only way that it'll be fun for me to do it. Yeah. You know? And even uh, if you hadn't gotten the job, those executives would have been like, okay, so we're doing this other sequel. We should get those guys in because like that's, that's happened to interesting. Me. Yes. That was really and exactly. that, that, I've seen a lot of people get jobs that way. They didn't get the job, but they got a job because they liked how out of the box you thought, you know. And I know that's like a really cliche phrase out of the box, but I think, you know, it is a good way to kind of try to approach things because you've got to make it interesting for yourself because it's going to get, it's always like, it's talk about a relationship. Like you better start off with a honeymoon because man, it's going to get rough down the road. And I expect people are like, yeah, I'm dating this person dating this girl. And, and the first six months have been really, really hard. And like, she's kind of all over the place. And I don't know if she really likes me and I don't really like her, but we think it'll get better. In the road. I'm like, man, this is as good as it's going to get probably, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's only downhill to go. And so I always feel like if you're engaging on an assignment, you want to like really be excited from the start about your direction and the version of it, because inherently the executives and the producer and maybe the director and actor down the road will try to make it more boring probably that's just kind of like the job that most of them do is like make it more normal make it more by by numbers because that's kind of like that'll make them feel more safe so you might as well start with a really interesting direction and then maybe it'll just get to like g good by the time that it's done with all the process you know yeah for sure for sure well, thanks john i don't want to keep you too much longer i know we've been going for a little while here um you can see we could talk all day <laughs> you know, I love so, it. I love it, guys. Thank writing, you so, so much. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for hanging with us, man. This has been awesome. Um, like I said, I, I keep on doing what you're doing out there. You know, and I'm so happy. Like I said, you know, my dude Chris is in your company, so I know that company. Very lucky here. to have him. Thank you. You know, um, of course, my dude Saeed. You know, I'm sure you probably have other people. I haven't even looked at the whole client list to see who you got over there. You know, 
but uh, keep doing the awesome, awesome things. Um, where can people follow you? On Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, I would say Twitter is the people try to like me on Instagram, but Instagram is just for my private dumb stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Twitter is the easiest thing. Just my 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 name John Zazerny on Twitter. So uh, so yeah, awesome. Um, this will be dropping not this Monday, but the following Monday. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, where you at, Chris? Uh, at unauthorized <laughs> CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Google Play, whatever you guys listen to. We're out there. Make sure you subscribe. Give us a five-star review. What else, Chris? Uh, you can uh, you can support the show on ScreenwritersRR.com. That's where you can like do a direct support or you can also go to and there's a link to the patreon page there where you can support us there there's also some tiers of different things that you can get if you you know subscribe to us uh uh there's i i guess we're gonna turn i guess starting in december we'll turn on the the uh um the scripts the feedback the coverage again um <laughs> but we'll, we'll do that and there'll, that be, there'll be some other things that'll be there's there's mugs there's t-shirts there'll be some more like some writer centric t-shirts at screenwritersr.com um yeah so that's it that's what's up and again shout out to lisa bolakaja she'll be back um, hopefully next week or something like that and um everybody joining me for wakanda forever even you john you know how to do it <laughs> All right, well, not forever, man. Let's... You could do this. You could do this. I, 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 we have which arm is over which arm? I always forget. I, th- I don't think it's uh, left. Yeah, it's specific read. I remember was reading on yeah. Twitter. There's a specific one. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, everybody, please join with me. You guys know how we do it on the rant room. <laughs> we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. <laughs> yeah. Peace, y'all. Thanks again, John. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room So you wanna be a writer? Well, you gotta be a writer Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the Red Room we let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.